and welcome to the Pseudo Show, where business meets open source. My name is Neil, and with me today is my spot-on co-host, Bill. Don't worry, everyone. Brandon is in a safe location. We put him temporarily in the FreeBSD jail. As a repayment for his bail, Bill and I turn the tables on Brandon and ask him the questions for once. Today's episode is all about Brandon's journey with Linux. I'm looking forward to seeing the synergy between the two of you. But before we start, just a little housekeeping. So one of our favorite open source contributors and tech YouTubers, Jeff Gerling, as of this recording, he, he just put out a video explaining he's gonna be having surgery and will be out the rest of the year. And we just wanted to wish him luck. Even though we haven't met him before, I just wanted to push people to his latest video explaining what's going on with his current situation and a link to the United Ostomy Associations of America if uh, you wanted to donate to that cause. Now on with the show so I can get out of free BSD jail. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest way for individuals, teams, and business organizations to store, share, and sync sensitive data. Bitwarden is an open source password management tool whose feature set rivals any other tool on the market today. Not only is Bitwarden open source, it is regularly audited by security professionals. You can get started for free at bitwarden.com tux and plans start at just $10 per year. Thank you to Bitwarden for sponsoring the pseudo show. This episode of the pseudo show is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Head on over to do.co slash tux2022 to get started with a $100 credit. DigitalOcean has a comprehensive portfolio of cloud infrastructure so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building apps that grow your business. With predictable pricing and robust product documentation, get support at every stage of growth with simple, powerful cloud computing. As a listener of the Pseudo Show and a member of the Touch Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash touch2022. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of the Pseudo Show. So Neil, I think to get to the bottom of this guy... We've got to start at the beginning and see what's going on in his in his head. So, Brandon, why don't you tell us where did this all start? Go back to the beginning. Go way, way back into your early years with Linux and give Neil and I a walkthrough of, of where it all began. So it probably all started when I was 12. So this is uh, 1996. I was... Uh, on a road trip with my family and I stopped, we stopped at a, um, it's somewhere in Southern Utah. I wanted to go into this bookstore and it was a, and I was thumbing through the technology books, uh, that they had there. Uh, it was a book on Red Hat Linux had a disc in it, uh, Red Hat five, one, my memory's right. And uh, it just devolved from there, which then put me onto Slackware, Red Hat again, and then Corel Linux, and then 
uh, Susa, Mandrake, Fedora, on and on and on. In high school, I got deep into C++ programming. Also started looking at, at writing C, writing uh, some um, code for, uh, I believe it, the project did become, eventually become Fuse. I was writing some code for, for that project, but this was a long time ago. I don't even know if uh, I committed my my code correctly. I don't even know if I have a attribution on it. I just kind of like threw code out there when I was younger. I really didn't understand the importance of licensing and you know getting your contributions recognized, etc. But that was uh, you know, my early beginning. Went to college and then uh, got a job at Novell in 2005. For those that don't remember Novell, Novell was the creator of NetWare, which was an operating system for primarily driven for uh, file and print. And they also created um, a lot of the early network protocols, including one protocol called IPX, and they did uh, work on TCP IP. And they also then acquired SUSE, in 2000, I believe 2004. And that's part of the reason why I came on. At the time, they just had finished the acquisition and they decided to do a big uh, migration for the entire company off of Windows desktops to what at the time they were calling it Novell Linux Desktop, then SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop 10. Basically, my job there was to work on open office uh, macros uh, convert specifically converting the uh, rewriting. I wasn't converting. I was rewriting Visual Basic macros in Excel for into Open Basic, uh, which is the scripting language for Open Office and LibreOffice. Believe it still is. I haven't looked into that in a long time, but that was my first foray and uh, and actually working on uh, Linux and open source uh, solutions. Early in your career, you worked on the support side of open source. What was the spark, Unix pun, that got you to transition from support to selling open source solutions? Well, that, that came much later. So I went to support at, for one of the major healthcare companies in the United States supporting a Linux uh, product that they were developing. Linux was based off of, it was a, a combination of several different pieces of technology, of open source technology, but the actual program on top of it was proprietary. And then I went and did a, some more IT operation stuff at a, at a startup, started my own, I guess a, I did start my own business. So that, that I, that did become selling, but I, I in my head that's not part of my selling background. <laughs> Even though I was selling, I was selling uh, uh, Linux. I was selling this the value of um, of using an open solution. Using um, it was more more selling me and selling you know, selling my consulting services versus uh, versus the actual software. During this time, working at a startup, we were looking at some storage. Because we needed to buy some storage for uh, for a solution, we were talking to NetApp, and I remember this very specifically because uh, that it was NetApp, and because the guy who was the 
solution architect or sales engineer, he got up and he was like talking about how cool NetApp was and all that. And he was really excited about it. Very technical. I didn't really realize that the job of an SC existed. I, I uh, never, never really connected the dots there. But I, this is pretty early in my career. So this is what, 2007, maybe to, uh, 2008. And I asked him like, what, what do you do? And he said, oh, I'm a sales engineer. I travel around and tell people how awesome my stuff is. And I also still get to uh, stay geeky. So that, you know, I want to do that, but I want to do that for an open source company. So I ended up getting into the partner space and then I ended up at Red Hat ultimately. As you sparked your way into selling open source, what shifted you into find, turning it into a long time career? Like what did you, what made you feel like it was the best thing for you to do? What was, what did you find most rewarding about it? The education side of it is probably the most rewarding. Uh, explain why this is better. Take, for example, Linux is better than a Unix operating system. Is it because it's better than, in general, like Unix and Linux, like I don't really consider one better than the other, but there are tangible benefits to using Linux over a Unix platform, especially when I was starting. The Most of the benefits were mostly the the industry is moving in this direction, even though I was still talking to people who were big iron, Unix, uh, admins, uh, going, oh, I, th I think this Linux thing is actually becoming enterprise grade. I guess uh, you know, the New York Stock Exchange running <laughs> Linux isn't good enough. Uh, Lin Lin at this point, Linux had been running on several different iterations of space probes and bank other banking systems not just uh, uh new york stock exchange running uh start even starting to run telco networks by by this point so that was always confusing to me but for me it was mostly just educating and telling and and uh, convincing people that linux was the future that linux uh has the ecosystem behind it the the talent that's where all the talent's heading and also just getting in front of a customer and going, hey, what's your business problem? What, what are you trying to solve? And, and they, they tell me their problem. And I come up with a technology solution to help them solve it. So like whether that was, hey, I, I need to automate this process. Like the, I need to automate a provisioning a VM. Even today, this is a pretty common problem. Oh, it takes me too long to provision a VM. Costs us X amount of dollars to make this, to, to do all this. We, you can put tangible uh, money behind it and and being able to help them go go through the exercise to solve solve the problem and actually demonstrate that the solution that I'm selling them works that one of the things that has kept me in this space particular where I am right now is uh I actually know the stuff works I get to see I sometimes I get to see it work before it becomes a product that's actually one of the cool parts about working in open source is a lot of the stuff is already out there. So you can actually see that it's working before, before it becomes a product somewhere. So then where do you see the future of selling open source software going? Because it sounds like it's already pretty sweet as it is. There's a lot of change in the industry coming. Always, you know, there's always ch big changes. Like every five to 10 years, there's always a big change. But fewer and fewer smaller enterprises likely going to be deploying to the cloud 
yeah, the cloud is based on open source technologies, but that's not necess- but you're actually selling open source like where I am. It's most I actually think uh, there's still going to be oh keep selling to direct to the customer that can't or they won't go to the cloud, go you know, go to a public cloud. Usually it's can't. It's not that they won't do it. Uh, just because they're in a regulated industry or where the cost just doesn't make sense for for their particular for the for some of their use cases to go to the cloud but for the smaller ones i actually think it's managed services or some other type of way of doing that Um, managed services i do think is going to be the uh, go forward especially in enterprise space for open source and i'm not talking like a open core stuff i actually do truly mean like full open source every piece of the stack is open can still be sold as a man as a full-on managed service or SaaS product you don't need to have a a different license for for other components uh, to make it work at least that's my that's my point of view so expanding upon the idea of the full stack move on to open source hardware then tell us where you think open source hardware can succeed in the business world oh that's a tough one but I'm not in the hardware space. I'm I'm purely in the software. But looking at looking at edge and embedded uh, type of devices, I personally think that ARM is a mess to get things uh, going. I don't I don't think it's a, an easy platform to target. It seems like every device with the same processor and in some, even some cases the same devices, you can't take one image of a, of a Linux distribution that works on, say, uh, we'll call it device A, but device B, which is uh, from a different vendor, but it has the same processor, a lot, a lot of the same components, that image won't even boot. Uh, that, that's been my experience with ARM. Uh, so I, <laughs> it, it drives me insane in regards to that ecosystem. So I, I think like an open platform, especially if standards are built around it for how things work on that platform, booting to use a uh, entry kernel drivers or something else, just pure, just some sort of standard uh, around how, how the, how the device is booted would just be good enough for me. Uh, Cause that's been my frustration with arm. Cause some of them use UEFI, some don't. It, it's just, uh, Pick something and stick with it. <laughs> so. so one large piece of hardware that we often don't consider a computer is our vehicles, although they are pretty much all computers inside now. If you look at some of the more popular infotainment systems and plugins, I mean, obviously every automotive manufacturer has their own. In addition, there's Android Auto and there's Apple CarPlay. Where does open source fit in at this table if there's a place for it? Well, there absolutely is. I'm not in this area because I don't I don't deal in the automotive space. I'm more focused on telecommunications. There's definitely a place. Uh, just uh, speaking generically, uh, Red Hat is working with, uh, uh, it was announced at Red Hat Summit earlier this year uh, with uh, GM to put Red Hat Linux, Red Hat Enterprise Linux in their cars. And it, I believe it's going to, the first cars with this, uh, with uh, the 
RHEL in vehicle OS or Red Hat Linux uh, in vehicle OS, what I can't remember what it's called now, will be shipping next year. The operating system itself, yes, I do see a lot of, I, I do think that there is a place there. Every car manufacturer is going to want their own play uh, on top of you know, in their infotainment center they want to they want to differentiate themselves it's a, a thing that gets people into their cars gm versus a ford you know what the thing that would put me into a gm right now versus a ford is uh, i don't remember if it's still a few it's been a few years but like uh ford had um their microsoft sync this is years ago or gm didn't and uh personally i would have I, I've never bought a GM car in my life, but I would have bought a GM over a Ford just for the fact it didn't doesn't have Microsoft Sync. <laughs> so, uh, or what, I can't remember what they called it, but that I think that's what it was called. But that was different. You know, it's just a differentiation. But in this case, it you know it's just the operating system underneath that's running everything, and like CarPlay is just an application that runs on top of it. But the fact that you we're gonna have it's looking like CarPlay plus Android Auto probably running on top of Linux in a car is pretty interesting. And, and I'm sure there will be other things that will emerge out of that. But I I, I think uh, I'd love to see uh, KDE car, you know, car K, K, with a K, you know, for like an infotainment system or or something with GNOME, right? It, it I, I th- either would be interesting to me just from a, just from a technology standpoint, I think that would be uh, cool to just be able to bring my own infotainment system. Uh, I doubt that would ever happen, but one can dream, especially since all the component, all the building blocks are there. Yeah, that would be uh, interesting. I having peeked into that world before, I would say that it would be occasionally be nice to be able to bring your own infotainment stack into there, but I don't think you'll ever see that happen, Brandon. Sorry. I know. Uh, <laughs> I, like I said, one can dream. <laughs> Who wants to start the uh, the GitLab project to make that happen? Neil, are you up for it? No. No, I'm not. No. This is... No. I'm sure the... K- well, actually, you know what? KD folks will probably build some super cool, super cool thing that would go great into infotainment systems. And then we just have to petition the car companies to include it. Like I, I'd love to see like a like a KD you know, equivalent of like a CarPlay. You know, maybe you know, maybe it's an extension of KDE Connect or something. That would be oh, that would be phenomenal. Like I have my own personal media library and locker, music locker, and and that's all set up with you know with uh, uh, jukeboxes and media players and and Baloo and all that other fun stuff. And like having that be able to go into into the vehicles that'd be cool see open source could do anything it just takes somebody's imagination willingness and skill to pull it off i have the uh imagination I, at least i think i do i <laughs> hope i still have the skill but it's mostly the time <laughs> to yeah. make it happen yeah i think that's what all of us have as a problem right now let's do a little bit of a a, a pivot here so, you know, we've been talking a bit about, you know, sales and open source and like, 
you know, the market verticals and things like that. But let's kind of take it back to the fundamentals here when it comes to open source and sales. You know, if someone was wanting to do this sort of thing, what would be the best, what would be what you would consider the best piece of advice for someone to be able to do this uh, uh, well, uh, to, to get started, to put their best foot forward, that sort of thing? One, don't skimp on the technology. Like you need to know the tip to go into technology cells, you need to know it. I, I tell this to my team all the time. I expect you to be able to, to be conversational at a minimum on every piece of technology we sell. Like you don't need to be super experts in because we there's you know we have specialists in the back to back you up. Like like if you don't understand like a a business rules engine like rules. You know, we have an expert behind there, but I'd like you to be conversational on it. Like at least get the, you know, understand the basics. And I'm expecting you to write Java, just understand the basics of the technology that you want to sell. That would be the, that that's my number one thing. You need to be conversational. Two, develop presentation skills. That is something I did not have when I started in this. When I wanted to get into it, I it took me a long time to be willing to get in front of a crowd, get in front of a webcam, and talk on this. It, that was very, very difficult for me. I I'm int- very introverted. I'm not, it t- it took took a lot for 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 me to essentially pivot to a. a I'm not going to say I'm extroverted. I, I'm not. I don't think I am. Maybe I am. Maybe I've turned into one, but presentation skills are key. Being able to take a business problem. So understanding a business problem and being able to then take a solution, a technical solution to solve the business problem is really important. And and maybe even not just, or maybe not even talking about the tech, just talking about how, how you would approach solving the problem with maybe what they already own with uh, the software that you already uh, have sold them like that that's a that's actually a struggle because you have quotas to meet but it makes you more credible it turns you into a trusted advisor that's a term that probably gets thrown around a little too much in in the tech sales world but it's true you in order to become a trusted advisor you need to be willing to not sell something you need to be willing to just have a conversation and help them understand what they're already using or help them use it better. So that that's a, so a good grasp on basic business principles. You don't need to be an MBA, but it doesn't hurt. Uh, I, I know a lot of people that are still super nerds that have their MBAs are now uh, VPs of sales, but they're decide you know decided to take that take that track in their career whether if that was for the money or they just like doing it more that was big that's a big part of the reason why i'm in tech sales i actually enjoy doing it more than slinging code or or administrating a linux system i i truly enjoy it regardless of what money's coming in so recently brandon you made an interesting change in your career i saw it happen on your linkedin You've got to tell us more. You became a manager. So 
in all seriousness, like, why did you decide to do this? What, what it, you know, you've been doing the whole, like, being the sales guy for so long. Why did you decide you wanted to make that pivot into into a leadership type role and kind of pass? I mean, was it a little bit of trying to pass the baton on? Was What, what was going on here for, for, for making this change? I had tried management or flavor of management early on. Just if you're 22 listening to this and you have an opportunity to become a manager in the corporate world, don't do it. That's advice number one. But when you're 38, you have a lot more experience in your space. You know it better. I, I actually think before you be, go into leadership, you should have at least, I think, five to seven years uh, under your belt knowing how to do things. I know some people just go into leadership, but uh, right out of college either because of connections or whatever but what that that those are the exceptions but if you're going to if you want to get into leadership you want to then you know start climbing the the exec you know get climb the ladder into executive leadership i think you if you it's better to start and understand what people are doing that that's my point of view i'm sure other people have other views on this but why i moved i mostly was i wanted to do it again. I wanted. I felt like I was ready to go into leadership, and one of the aspects of uh, being in in a technical role, I was already doing a lot of leadership things uh, or manager style things like mentoring and coaching, and that was the part of my job that I liked the most, other than going and talking uh, and and sharing my excitement about open source with. Uh, with my customers. So I decided I wanted to do that more. And I think I've been pretty good at it. Uh, the last uh, year and a half, I, I've hired some really great people, a person on my team that's pretty early in their career in tech sales, and they uh, think I'm coaching them fairly well and getting them to where they need to go. Uh, I, th I think the results speak for themselves. Uh, uh, I like I was promoted. I was moved into the management role. I was promoted to senior manager last month, so uh, I'm not too not too shabby. Only being in the role for a year and a half at that point. I hope that answered the question. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I think it did okay. But let let's uh, let's talk a little bit about how do you approach leadership? Like how do you how do you feel about it? What's your philosophy and and. How do you think of leadership as an aspect of how you how you do things? The best leaders that I've that I've worked with either help me do my job well or they get out of my way. And sometimes to help me, they need to get out of my way. And it's a, a leader that recognizes that they need to get out of the way and let me and let me do my work. And that's the type of leadership. Uh, I, I have. I'll, I'll, I'm there to help and coach and mentor as needed. But if you need me to just uh, take a step back and just kind of like be a cheerleader for you, that that's what I do. A big thing for me is ensuring my team is growing, that they are getting what they need out of their role. I don't want them to be bored. I don't want them to feel like their skills are stagnating. 
a lot of the people that come into tech sales came from a very technical background. And like myself, if you don't use your skills, you lose them. So I encourage training. I, in the, in the case of my team, I've said, I've encouraged them if they have the, the cycles to contribute to an open source project or to just uh, go, we have a, a lab that they can just uh, hop in and use. They can just go in, check out a piece of hardware uh, that's that then allocated to them and they can go play with the latest and greatest stuff so they can just stay up to speed. That, that's been kind of my, my approach that, that I've taken with everyone on my team. And essentially, you know, implement in my own little world, implementing that that policy of, you know, take the time to to stay up to speed, ten, you know, about ten percent of your time a week, I think has uh, helped my team stay at the most technical, you know, hit any requirements that we have internally for certifications, et cetera. I think think that's uh, them a lot. One of the things I've enjoyed about being in senior leadership myself is watching the chemistry and the camaraderie that my team develops with each other. And I remember taking one of my teams out to dinner last year. And at the end of the night, I raised my glass to them and I said, this is to all of you because I know that there are things you say about me behind my back that I never hear. And they all kind of slunk down in their chairs. They were almost afraid. And I said, that's not important to me. What's more important to me is the trust and faith that you guys have in each other as a team when it gets very busy and when there's a lot of work in your plate. That matters more to me than the opinion you have of me in that moment. That's actually really powerful. <laughs> that, that Especially when you can see that with, with your team. The way I a lot of tech sales work is you typically don't work with other like in my in my world we have account solution architects that's what i manage you, you typically don't interact with your peers you interact with other teams so you're interacting with the specialists you're interacting with um your account executive you know that who report has a different reporting structure so you're doing extended teams it, it's same concept right you get to see the see see that now granted you know those people don't report to me but it's like i still deal with it still work you know if there's issues <laughs> if they're not uh uh you know getting along or or better if they are getting along actually the best phone calls i ever get are sales reps calling me saying how awesome their essay is sales reps don't take the time to do that very often it's always it's always good to see see everyone working well together and uh, my my leader part my leadership partners work, working together you know us working together to create a good team so speaking about so in regards to giving things away advice wisdom stuff stuff <laughs> all the stuff what is the best single piece of Linux swag that you have ever given away. I got to think about that. Come on, you've got to you've got to have given swag away at some point. Like that's the whole shtick of being a salesman. 
Like every time I get like proposition due by my by my reps, I get random stuff all the time. You gotta g- give us something good, dude. And don't you dare say flash drive. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I don't give away flash drives because they break. <laughs> They're also usually quite bad. Uh, so what I won't give away, I'll start with that: flash drives, phone chargers. That the best swag that I've given to uh, to a customer. I was at Red Hat Summit in. Uh, San Francisco, and I bought them a Red Hat umbrella. And I could spot them on the street <laughs> immediately when it was raining. So, <laughs> oh, so it's just like uh, just a smart move right there on the spot. <laughs> well, it was raining, and I'm like, and they're like, oh, I need an umbrella. I'm like, hey, hold on. And I went and grabbed, uh, bought one for him at the store at the pop-up store at red hat summit i will give you that that counts mostly because it was fortuitous it was random and it's amusing yeah and i think it, it i think it had a that it was bef- it was a uh the shadow man logo so uh even better because it's the original logo which means it's a collector's item now yeah so Neil, this all started because Brandon ended up in FreeBSD jail. So there must have been a reason why we had to put him in FreeBSD jail. So Brandon, you need to tell us what is your favorite part about using BSD, if you have one. I don't know. Jails are okay. <laughs> PF Sense oh, is fine. That's right. That's how this conversation started. He said, jails are okay. And it's like, all right, we'll put you in one. And, and on top of that, we'll just take over the show for a day. That's how this started. Uh, and PF Sense is fine, since it's based on BSD. I had to touch the underlying components in, in PF Sense. So yeah, it's great there. Well, Neil, I guess we have to let him out on a technicality then. I don't think we can keep him in jail any longer. He He found a way to get out of jail for free and i'm sure he's hungry so the question now begs to be asked brandon given all the places that you have traveled what city has the best food in your opinion in the united states or europe all over the world you wherever you've gone okay what's the best city with food barcelona Hands down. The fact that I can just go in anywhere, get awesome food at like 10 o'clock at night uh, and beyond. Really, really great. So there's Europe, the U.S. I'm not going to be cliche and say New York or San Francisco. Actually, some of the best food I've had has been in like St. Louis, like in the suburbs of St. Louis, Denver. Actually, my favorite sushi restaurant in all the United States is in Denver. Well, Neil, I think we've learned all we need to know about Brandon. And I'm pretty sure that he'll stay out of FreeBSD jail. Brandon, thank you so much for allowing Neil and I to ask you the difficult questions today. We really appreciated learning more about you and your history with Linux. I was very, very happy to do it and uh, let you guys do the, all the planning on this one. It was pretty exciting. I enjoyed it. 
I think Bill, I, it, I think this was like one of the most fun episodes that we've planned in a while. I was looking forward to this for quite a while and this was a little bit of uh, planning making this happen and it was absolutely worth it. So I hope to have the opportunity to do this again someday as long as you stay at a free BSD jail. Thanks everyone for listening and remember, The Sudo Show is where business meets open source.